All right, we are continuing our study through 1 Peter here on the Listener's Commentary. And in this session, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, verse 3. So this is one of those places where the chapter break doesn't really help us a whole lot because it seems like the thought continues into the next chapter. So we're going to span the chapter break here and go from 122 through 2-3. And Peter in this section is really still giving us a call to action based on what God has done for us in Christ. And so in chapter 1, 3 uh, through 12, Peter has described how great the salvation is we have and that we have been born again to a living hope. And so what Peter has been doing then is working off this idea of new birth. And so he talked about God being our father and some of that in the preceding section. Well, here he's going to really work that idea of new birth uh, strongly. And he's going to talk about that living holy lives in view of our hope and our salvation doesn't just mean for me personally, but there's a corporate effect to that. And so now that we have come into Christ, uh, what does it look like to live godly, holy, God-pleasing lives in relationship to those other people who have also been born again and experienced this new, new birth. Like we're all part of a brand new family in Jesus. And so we're like brothers and sisters. And so if we're going to please God and live holy lives in the present time in view of the salvation that is to be given to us at the end of time, there is a responsibility in relationship to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Peter is going to address in this section that we're going to look at here. So he says in verse 22, Since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. Now he'll go on and he'll have more to say about that. But notice this idea that he says, Here's the basis for this. Since you've purified your souls in obedience to the truth. That's the basis. And the idea of purified, really that language for Peter, comes from the Old Testament. Uh, pagan religions use the same sort of language, but for Peter as a Jew, that's where it would have derived from. This idea of purifying your soul meant the idea of consecrating yourself being cleansed so that you could enter God's presence. And Peter, prior to meeting Jesus, the primary experience of that would have been cleansing, like going into the temple and making sure you, you were properly cleansed and ritually cleansed and so that you could enter into worship and enter into God's presence. Well, that's where that language derives from. Well, here, what Peter is saying to us is, by virtue of the fact that we have been redeemed by Jesus, the preceding paragraph, right? We've been redeemed by his blood. We've been set free from our sins and thus cleansed, purified, redeemed through his blood. Uh, that is our cleansing moment. And so we have been purified. He says, you've been, you've purified your souls. And that we need to hear that again, the way Peter meant it. We tend to hear souls as referring to the immaterial part of us versus our bodies, souls versus bodies. And sometimes the word seems to be used that way, but primarily the word soul just refers to the whole person, the whole life, like inside and out. In fact, the place for this word first shows up in the Bible, in Hebrew at least, the Hebrew version of it, nephesh, in the Old Testament, is when God breathed the breath of life into Adam and Adam became a living soul, not just he had a soul. He became a living person, a living being, right? It referred to his whole life. Well, that 
That is the way Peter understands the word. So since you have purified your whole life, your whole being in obedience to the truth, meaning uh, obeying the gospel by re responding to the gospel and obeying that, you have now become cleansed and pure, can enter into God's presence, and you can enter into relationship with him. So that's the basis of that, right? And we have done that, he says, specifically, notice, for or unto a sincere love of the brothers and sisters. That phrase translated uh, love of the brothers and sisters, that's actually one word in Greek. It's the word Philadelphia. We get our here in America, we get our city, Philadelphia, Philadelphia right? The city of brotherly love. Um, but the idea here is these two words, autophos, brother, phileo, love, means we're going to love each other like family. Like, because we've been born again, and if I've been born again and you've been born again, then we're, we're part of the new family of Jesus. And so we're purified to actually love each other um, as family, as brothers and sisters. And so that's the purpose or the goal of our cleansing or purification that Peter's drawing attention to here is we're cleansed unto a sincere brotherly love. And notice that this brotherly love, he says, must be sincere. It must be genuine. Literally, it must not be hypocritical. Um, and the idea of hypocritical is the idea of play acting. There's no play acting. Don't put on a mask. Don't fake it, right? Not just to look good in front of others when you're at church, but then be a jerk when you're away from them. Uh, not just to, you know, Act like you love people in front of people whose opinions matter to you, but, you know, behind the scenes when no one's looking, you're just unkind or indifferent or thoughtless, inconsiderate. You're not just doing it to look like a good Christian. It's got to be genuine, Peter says. We were cleansed to love one another sincerely, authentically, genuinely. And I think it's important just to point out that we're never really called in the New Testament to like each other. This isn't about like. We're called to go beyond like to love. We're family. We need each other. We've got to be devoted to each other. And so we have been cleansed for a sincere love of the brothers and the sisters. And thus, Peter gives this call to action in the second half of the verse. He says, since that's the case, fervently love one another from the heart. And the word for love here is agape. So you've been cleansed for Philadelphia, for brotherly love, therefore agape one another. And the idea of agape seems to be in the New Testament. It's this word that is really connected to what Jesus did for us. And it becomes sort of a distinctly Christian kind of love. And it has this sense of a regard for the well-being of another person, without any consideration for what I get out of it. It's a commitment to uh, doing what is good and right and loving for somebody else, whether I feel like it or whether I benefit from it or not. That's agape. And so he says, since you have been purified for loving each other like brothers and sisters in Christ, then you've got to commit yourself to doing it. You've got to commit your will to the other person's best interest. You've got to commit yourself to caring for them and being kind to them and loving them, whether you feel like it or not, whether you get anything out of it or not. Love one another. And he says, fervently, earnestly, deeply, constantly, from the heart. Two descriptions of this love, fervent and from the heart. And for us, the heart is the seat of the emotions. 
For them, the heart actually refers more like to the will. The heart in biblical language is the control center of the person. So to love someone from the heart doesn't mean to love merely with feelings. It can include that and certainly will include that. But it really means love someone from the depths of your being. Love someone from the entire control center of your person. Out of the volitional center of your inner being, you and I are called to love our fellow Christians. That's the idea. And we're to do so genuinely and earnestly. And once again, this is based on who we are now. We have a brand new identity. We're part of a brand new family with a new set of values, and that leads to new ways of interacting and new ways of relating. And so Peter, in verse 23 here, is going to ground this call to love in our new birth. We've been cleansed. That's who we are. We've been born again. Therefore, do this. Live who you are. And so Peter is going to ground it here in verse 23 to our new birth. He says, In verse 23, for, that's the basis, you have been born again. Like, you've been cleansed. You've been born again. This is your identity. This is who Christians are. And so that is the foundation or the basis. Our identity leads to our actions, our behavior. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, normal seed, right, that could perish, that could pass away. You've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is the living and enduring word of God. And so we've experienced a brand new birth. We've been given a new nature, a new identity by virtue of an imperishable seed. Uh, And that means it's powerful and it's lasting. Um, And that's the seed that he specifies is the living and enduring word of God. So what Peter is saying in connection with the proceeding is you can love this way. You can love deeply, uh, genuinely, fervently because you've been born from God. The source of our new birth isn't perishable, it's imperishable. The seed of this new birth is God's word, which is living and enduring. It doesn't pass away. Um, And it's this living, enduring, imperishable quality that gives our new birth such power and enables us, therefore, to love like this. Why? Well, because what springs from a seed shares the nature of the seed. Well, in this case, the seed is the word of God and God is love. So if we've been born again by God's word, by God's seed, then love is in our DNA. And that's the point. We can love like this because of the new birth we've been given through the word of God. Then Peter goes on in verses 24 and following and gives an Old Testament quote to support the idea that God's word is living and enduring and thus eternal and powerful to achieve its purposes. And so the quote he gives is from Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8. He says this, um, 4 verse 24, all flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass wither and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So this is from Isaiah chapter 40 verses 6 through 8. And it's simply making a comparison that flesh, humanness, weakness um, is, is perishable. All flesh is like grass. It's glory. All the greatness of flesh is like the flower of the grass, right? That it's just there for a short time. It springs up. Boom. Then it gets hot and it just dries up and dies. The grass withers. The flower falls off. But not God's word. The word of the Lord in contrast to 
perishable things like the flower of grass, the word of the Lord endures forever. And so the point of this quote in context is simply to support this idea of the enduring, abiding, powerful nature of the word of God by which we've been born again. And so Peter ends the quote by saying, and this is the word that was preached to you. It was God's word that was preached to you. It's God's word to which you responded to. And thus, it's God's word that birthed you again, gave you this new birth. And that word is enduring forever. It's got that kind of eternal effect and power. So the word they heard and received was God's very own word. And that was the word that led to their new new birth. And so that changes who they are. And that changes how they live, especially who, in the context here, who and how they love. And so our new birth leads us into a new family that is marked by a new kind of love, a kind of love that is like God's. Now, what Peter's going to then say at the beginning of chapter two is that there are some things we need to get rid of. There are some things you got to get rid of if you're going to love the way you've been born again to love. So here's what you got to get rid of. Chapter two, verse one. Therefore, right, notice the connection based on the fact that you've been cleansed and purified, based on the fact that you've been born into a new family and you've been born into a new family to love one another, based on that, because of all that, here's an implication. Here's what you need to do. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And Peter just lists off sort of a, in shotgun fashion, a smattering of behaviors and uh, character traits that are opposed to love, right? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, all of these vices are opposed to love. Malice, um, literally the word here is just badness. Don't do bad things to each other. Don't treat people badly or poorly or thoughtlessly. Uh, deceit, we know what that is, right? Like don't deceive people, trick people, lie to people. Hypocrisy is play acting, being two-faced, being insincere in your treatment, treating them one way when you're with them, treating them differently when you're with a different group, right? Like hypocrisy, don't be like that. Envy um, is really closely related to jealousy. It's wishing you had what others had. Treating people poorly because you wish your life had been like their lives, that kind of stuff, right? Like envy and wanting what they've got and doing things to try to get it and treating them poorly because you're jealous of them. Slander just has to do with running people down, talking bad about others. And sometimes, just to be fair, um, we can do that in our own mind. We can do that on social media. We can do that in a variety of ways that oftentimes we uh, don't think, well, I, I, I didn't say anything bad to their face. Well, that's not the point. You're still running them down. So slander is running people down. So Peter says, get rid of these kinds of things. A list like this was never intended to be, you know, all encompassing. It's a smattering of things that says things like this, things that are impede love, get rid of these kinds of things. Um, they're contrary to who you are now. They're unloving and you've been born again to love. So in keeping with your new birth, you, you also need to do this. Not just get rid of these things, but you need to grow so that you can grow in love and grow as a family. So he says in verse 2, And like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And, and so he's really playing off of this new birth analogy all through here. And so like newborn babies, you need to grow. 
And in order to grow, you need pure milk so that you could grow with respect to your salvation. So that you can, in other words, begin to carry out and live out the salvation you'd be given more fully and more completely in your own life and in relationship to your fellow believer's life as part of the new family of Jesus. And so you've got to long for the pure milk of the word, he says. And that word long is crave. It includes both wants and needs. Like a baby needs milk and craves it, you need to crave this pure milk as well. Um, the milk we crave is pure, he says. It's not polluted with other stuff. That's the idea of pure. It's not doesn't got pollutants in it. And this pure milk enables us to grow with respect to salvation, uh, grow so that the salvation we've been given can be more fully lived out in me personally, but also in us together as a family. Now, all of that's clear. What is not so clear is what Peter thinks the milk is. Um, this translation that I'm reading from takes it as the word, the pure milk of the word. Others leave it ambiguous. So, for example, the NIV translates it simply as pure spiritual milk. And the trouble, uh, and the reason it's a little unclear, is the word logikos. Logikos um, is the word that the NIV, in their translation, translates spiritual. And the word, the NASB, the New American Standard that I'm reading, as the word. Um, and it derives from the Greek word logos, which means word. Um, but usually when it's in this form of an adjective, logikos here, it usually means something like rational or reasonable. But it almost always implied content. You've got to be reasonable with some content, right? Some things you're thinking about. So the question is, does Peter intend to connect it with the idea of logos word back in 123? You've been born again by the word of God, right? Well, does Peter intend to connect uh, logikos here with logos there so that it's the word, uh, the pure spiritual milk of the word that you crave and enables you to grow? I, I think probably so. Um, I, I think we could be that specific as the New American Standard is here because the word logic, logos is in the immediate context and is part of the paragraph. I think think that's a fair connection to make. And even if, you know, the word typically means rational, rational or reasonable, there's the need for something to reason on. There's content, right? There's something to think about, words to think about. Um, and so he probably does have like the word of God, the gospel and the teaching about Christ and all of that. He probably does have that in mind as the pure spiritual milk. Um, and so, uh, even if we just said crave reasonable, pure milk, well, that's going to suggest mental activity, thinking, meditating, right? Like, we're thinking on this. So, there probably is a play off of the root word logos here, connecting it to the word logos in 123, by which we're born again. And thus, what we're craving is really the spiritual milk of God's word by which we have been born again. And so we want that teaching. We want to understand. We want to learn. We want to grow. And we don't want just the teaching so we can get smarter. The goal is for us to be able to then live it out, uh, that we could grow in respect to salvation means just like a baby growing up begins to live these things out. They learn how to walk and talk and reason and interact with people, right? Well, that's what we're learning. And we've been born again into this family to love one another. And so 
we've got to grow in respect to salvation so that we can keep loving one another. And then in the last line of the section here, Peter really continues on the idea of craving milk by the word tasted. He quotes a passage or alludes to a passage, at least from Psalm 34, and, and that's this idea of tasting. And so he says in verse three, if you have tasted the kindness of God. And so it's this connection between drinking milk, tasting the kindness of God. And it clearly alludes to Psalm 34, eight, taste and see that the Lord is good, is what Psalm 34, eight says. And in the Greek version, the Septuagint of Psalm 34, the word translated good, taste and see that the Lord is good, um, is uh, translated with the word kindness that Peter uses here. And so that's the word for good there. It's the word kindness here. And so taste and see that the Lord is kind. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so all our craving and drinking of the word of God is actually drinking milk from the Lord himself and seeing his wisdom, seeing his goodness, experiencing his kindness and his truth for life. And Notice when it begins with if, like if you've tasted the, the kindness of the Lord, Peter's not throwing that into doubt. There's two different words for if in Greek, uh, I and eon. And one, eon, means more like if, and I'm not sure it is. The other, in certain formulations, which is the one we have here, I means more like since. And so Peter assumes that indeed they have tasted the kindness of God. Um, and that makes sense. They have cleansed themselves, he said. They have been born again. So they have, you could almost say, since you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Like, in view of the fact that we've come into Christ and we've experienced the kindness of God, and we've experienced the goodness of God, well, that, that, that then becomes the bedrock foundation of our being so that all of our spiritual growth aims at growing in kindness and goodness and love and sharing then that kindness and love with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the mark of those who are part of the new family of Jesus. The mark is love. And that's what Peter has said here. For those brothers and sisters in, Christ, in our life in Christ, we love them with the very love of Jesus. We begin to express the very kindness of God that we too have experienced. And here's the thing. It's really easy to love all people in general. Oh yeah, I love all people in general. It's really easy to do that. But it takes a whole lot more effort, a whole lot more grace, a whole lot more patience, probably even more spiritual growth to love the actual real people in our life. And that's what Peter is calling us to. For these people in a much more communal type culture where there's maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 Believers in Jesus in their town, Peter's saying, you guys got to love one another. You've, you've cleansed yourself for that purpose. You've been born again into a new family to that end. So don't just think, oh yeah, I love all people in general. No, you got to love him. You got to love her. You got to love this person that actually you have to interact with and she kind of rubs you the wrong way or she annoys you or he grates on you at times or man, he's, he's got some irritating habits. These people, their part, and it, the actual people you interact with on a regular basis, they're the ones that are part of your family in Jesus. And we're called and we're born again unto loving them. That's the mark of the new family of Jesus. And so as those born again by the powerful word of God, let's soak ourselves in that word so that we can love one another deeply from the heart, just like Peter called us to here.